Welcome to the Reclaiming the Image that Black podcast. Uh, I am your host, Kareem Daniels. Uh, I'm here with my friend, uh, comic book and graphic novelist, uh, Mr. <laughs> Robert Love. So, what's up, man? How you doing there, Mr. Love? Uh, pretty good. Uh, for the audience, um, this is uh, Robert Love. He's uh, one of the famous uh, comic book artist uh, of the Love family, the Love <laughs> Brothers, uh, famous ghetto sake. Come on, Robert, give get give him your resume. Okay, what's my resume here? So yeah, we um, started back in 1998. We formed Ghetto Sake Entertainment, and uh, I'm an artist. Been drawing forever, but just a little some things I've done. I've done um, worked for. Uh, Image Comics, uh, Dark Horse Comics. Um, I've done uh, artwork for back in the day. I don't know if anybody remembers Vibe Magazine, um, Rap Pages. You know, I've uh, I've done BET, movie rights to one of our properties, and um, uh, so that's about it. Got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. I've done. <laughs> you and your brothers have done a graphic novel called Fierce. Yes, yes. Uh, tell the people about the the character Fierce. So Fierce. So this is something interesting. So back in, um, I think it was like uh, early two thousand. Yeah, it was early two thousand two thousand one. Um, I don't know if you remember Busta Rhymes, the rapper, was pretty big. Yeah, and uh, our agent at the time. So at that time, we had already done one comic book for, um, uh, we had done uh, like a little, some independent comic books. Anyway, our agent said, hey, you know, um, Buster Rhymes is looking for something, looking looking for to be uh, in a comic book or or some kind of hero. So, okay, so we, we made the character, excuse me, after Buster Rhymes at the beginning, and the character was basically, he was an FBI agent. He was part of an FBI team. But John, John Fierce, his name was Jonathan Fierce, he was a psychic. So uh, so he was with uh, four other team members in the beginning. And what happens is the four team members ended up being killed in this mission they were doing. And he takes on their personalities and voices and abilities. So he was just a psychic but so he didn't have any kind of fighting ability or bomb making or any kind of weapons training. But when he took on their personalities after their death and absorbed their memories and everything, he was able to do what they did. So um, we developed that comic book. So we were about to start drawing the story. And then um, our agent said, hey, can you make this for DMX? Okay. And now so, that makes sense. So now we said, okay, we'll make it for DMX. So... In the beginning, Jonathan Fierce had dreads. I, I'm, I'm going to put on my website the very first drawing we did of Jonathan Fierce, and he had dreadlocks. He looked like uh, Buster Rhymes. But when he, they said, well, hey, can you do this for DMX? So we took off the dreads, gave him a cut, bald cut, goatee, and that's, that's the guy you see now. He's on my, um, he's on my website, Jonathan Fierce. Okay. That 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 makes sense because you yeah. never told me this story that story before. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that story. A lot yeah. of people don't know it, and uh, we don't we, we don't really tell it a lot unless you know people ask about the beginning of it. I thought we was tight, man. <laughs> we tight, man. <laughs> so um, I know you, at that time you guys ended up with some options for that story. Yeah. So uh, so we ended up. Um, so what happened was we ended up uh, selling that or optioning that to, uh, I can't remember the, the studio, but um, Tyrese had signed on to, to play Fierce, Tyrese Gibson, and um, uh, what's her name, the director, uh, Gina Blythewood or something, I can't remember her name. I'm butchering her name, by the way. But she ended up uh, was going to direct it. 
But then it fell through and nothing happened. Um, it was before all of what's what you see a lot of black entertainment going on right now. Right. We were like in the very beginning and we were like in the early 2000s when people wanted to take us on. But there was a hesitancy because they didn't know how it would be received. Okay. Now it would be no problem because, you know, black movies, black superheroes, black uh, fantasy, black sci-fi is the thing now. But back then, people were still like him and Han, not sure how, you know, what they would do with it. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into a question I wanted to ask you about, like, you know, uh, a lot of times black artists aren't necessarily encouraged like some you know like it's more accepted like as a job when i, I say that, when i say that mm-hmm. uh so how were your parents the fact that there are three of you that or or is it there another brother that oh, i don't that's know just, about there's three of yeah, us yeah so there are three of you that that are artists uh and how were your parents with the fact that you guys were artists and were going to be artists um my parents um were so, so were supportive um, because I was working, we were all working day jobs back in, um, from 98 to 2000. And, um, and then when we did our first comic book called Chocolate Thunder, an independent book, they jumped at it and they were like, Hey, you know, so they were suggested us, you know, if you guys want this to work, you might think about quitting your job. So, um, I was working at Southwest at the time. So I cashed in my 401k. I cashed in my pro- profit sharing. So it was about, I, I left Southwest with like about uh, 50K. Okay. And I lived off of that as long as I could to make this thing work. And then, you know, we were, we, were doing, we were doing all kinds of stuff, all kinds of jobs, doing stuff. But they were very supportive. Right. But then the crash, the stock market economy crashed in 2008, you know. Yeah. So a lot of stuff we were doing dried up. Yeah. So what's it been like for you uh as a uh a, a black uh, comic artist? Um being a black comic artist is very different. Um now it's more it's more common now, more regular now. Right. But back then I and I still even get this when I tell people like I'm an artist, right? And right. I draw comic books. They're like, oh, okay, da 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 da. They don't really, they they don't think, for some reason, uh, and I gather this from being black, a black artist. They don't take you as serious, right? You know, until they say, well, let me see some of my work. Let me see some of your work. So I show them, and they're like, and it never fails. I get this, oh, oh, okay, you're real. You're the real deal. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just not saying that just to be like, you know. Pat myself on the back. Anybody that knows me, I'm I'm very poor at self promotion. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, I know. So I don't do that a lot. <laughs> but um, but I get that. I get that a lot. And um, as a black artist, you know, you, you as a black comic book artist, you do a lot of black characters, right? And so I get do you, I get people saying, "Well, do you ever draw any white characters?" I get that a lot, right? But if I drew nothing but white characters, I would never get, do you draw black characters? That would never even come into question. But I know that, you know, I get that. Do you ever, you ever draw anybody white? Da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, I draw white characters all the time. But, you know. So you had a, a comic book that came out uh, in the last five years that it was picked up. By, uh, darn it. I meant to do have the name of it. Um mm-hmm. And it was featured in the USA Today as a new comic book, and it wasn't a black art, black comic. No, that was um, I that was, I was a work for hire with that one. Work for I, hire for that one. Yeah, I didn't create that. That wasn't my idea. Um, two guys from Image Comics brought me on. It was called Alpha Girl. Yeah. So actually, explain that to people so that they understand what a work for hire is in in the comic book industry. Right. So work for hire is it's someone else, so like you or somebody else as a writer, uh, has a comic book and they need an artist and they search. You know, social media. You know, they ask family, they ask friends, ask editors, who's the good people out there, and so you know, the, you get an email or a call from someone. They got your email and say, "Hey, you know, they give me their credentials. I want to know if you're interested in doing a comic book that's going to be published from Image." And then, and so work for hire is basically they're paying you to draw their idea, 
and you uh, depart depending on the kind of agreement you get, you the contract you can sign with them. Either you just just says you work for hire, we're going to pay you to do these pages, and you don't own any rights, okay. or and then that means uh, that means what they're paying you is a is good enough to where they don't they can just mix you from that. Or if they can't pay you afford to pay you that much, they'll cut you in on some of the rights. But work for hire is something that they're hiring you like you know some like just the same thing as like I'm hiring you to build this house or I'm hiring you to put this. Uh, to, to do my plumbing, they're just hiring me to draw their comic book. Okay, so you know, part of uh, what the show is 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 educating people on opportunities that mm-hmm. we don't know exist. Right. Like if you're, uh, you know, I I have friends who have kids that are talented artists, mm-hmm. and they don't know that being a comic book artist is a possibility. Yes. So mm-hmm. so part of the reason why I wanted you on the show was so that one people could know, hey. That you there, it, this is a possibility, mm-hmm. and then two is hopefully filling in the gaps and giving people information about different opportunities within the industry. Right, right. So, um, and then one of your friends, uh, David Walker, just had a yeah, yeah. Three of my friends, um, David Walker, uh, Sanford Green, and Chuck Brown. Um, I don't know if anybody knows about this comic book, but they should go to the comic shop and pick it up. It's called Bitter Root, and it's been picked up as a movie for Legendary. And um, Ryan Coogler, who directed uh, Black Panther, will be producing. And Regina King uh, of uh, the that show Watchmen on HBO. Yes. And then uh, One Night in Miami, she directed that. She's going to be directing it. So that's huge news. I mean, me and my me and Dave go back. We go way back. So uh, I'm very happy for him because he's been he's a black writer and he's been you know uh, working hard. So it's good to see it pay off for him. Yeah, and you know, I, I've I saw the that come across a lot of feeds on uh, social media. So, if you've seen uh, the feed of Regina King's new directorial debut, this is what we're talking about, right? So, uh, and then let's talk about the you had a comic uh, called Thirteen. Yes, I had a book. Uh, this is a, one of my uh, comic books called Number Thirteen. It's about a a boy, little boy, who is an android. And he loses his memory, and so he goes about trying to find out the guy who created him. And when I say he loses his memory, he doesn't know who he is, where he is, or what this world is. It's set in a post-apocalyptic era, time, and uh, so it's I call it a futuristic, post-apocalyptic Pinocchio adventure story. And that was one time picked up by Legendary, and um, there's actually a proof of concept trailer. I think that's on my Twitter page. If not, I could put it up there later. But uh, the uh, guy named Steve Peterson um, and Sean Awolo, they produced and directed this little uh, three-minute short. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're interested in check them out on um, Twitter at robertelove.com. That's that's his Twitter handle, yeah. Robert not E. Not .com, sorry, really. Robert E. Robert E. Love. Right. What's the E for, man? That's my middle name. That I, I'm named after my grandfather. Is that Ernesto? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually see that trailer on my website, robertlovesart.com. So, robertlovesart.com. Um, that is the... Uh, Website. Yeah, that's the website. All right, so yes. we'll come back to that again. Yes. Um, so how did you feel when you saw them create your uh, comic into a trailer? So so they did real actors in it. Now they got real a real little boy to play him and everything. I'll tell you what, it was nothing like, I never had that, how can I describe it? The feeling that seeing something that you created come to life, there's no feeling like that in the world. It's like, wow, you know, and it motivates you to keep going. But it's very it's the stuff that I come and have somebody else come and interpret what you did, and understand what you did, and put it in live motion. It's it's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, if, if I ever win the lottery, we're gonna produce fierce. We're gonna turn it into a movie. <laughs> hey, that's fine by me. I don't know which ball headed brother we're gonna get to play fierce, but we're gonna make it. Happen. Oh, that's that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, 
what other art? Uh, so what? So you recently you branched off into some new stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You did something for was it for the state of California? Yeah. So I did. Um, so um, a lady by the name of uh, Katie McCleary, a very wonderful human being. Um, she runs this organization where she used to. She founded and ran this organization called 916 Inc. And they promote um, uh, reading and writing skills to uh, children. And they go into other schools and, and this organization. And they, so she had this idea of writing a comic book about uh, Sacramento County. Okay. Okay, so this is her brainchild. And so um, she found me on uh, Facebook and asked me, you know, do you want to, are you interested in doing this comic book? And then so we went back and forth. I was interested to do it. So it's about, so this book ended up being about the healthcare system in Sacramento County. And it was funded by the Urban Habitat and the California Endowment of the Arts. Okay. That's where she got the funding from. And so when she did this, um, similar organizations all around the state in different counties decided to do the same. And so um, I was approached by uh, Del Norte County, and um, they want to do the comic book about the founding of the Del Norte County up in, you know, Crescent City, Del Norte County. So they flew me up there, and um, the Yurok tribe and the Tolowa uh, tribe okay. are um, central to the founding up there. So I went and met both tribes. Okay. Talked with both elders, all the elders in both tribes. They gave me all kinds of stories, fascinating people. Then we got about the history, and then um, the history of the how they came to be there, and they took me on the tour of the entire county, went down the Klamath River, and um, saw something I never saw before. So apparently there was a flood up there in the '60s. Okay. And a lot of ranches up there. Um, were flooded out. So a lot of people had to abandon their ranches. So they had cattle up there. They ended up, you know, going all over the place because it was flooded. So they have wild cows up there that I've never seen because due time, through time, you know, their offspring had offspring had offspring. So I saw wild cows down there because of the flood in the 60s um, when people abandoned those ranches up there. So it was amazing. But anyway, I had a good time, and I ended up doing um, – a comic book for them. And what's the name of the comic book? So both com so all the, the comic books throughout the state for, for each county were called was was called um uh oh my gosh, it was called Where Where Do I Come From or something like that. Um man I'm butchering that too, can't remember. But it's called Where Do We Come From or Where Are Where Are We or Who We Are, something like that. But they all had that theme of this is the county. Okay. So then after that, they I, I consulted um, San Diego, uh, Riverside, Santa Barbara. I consulted the other counties and, and put in there to get their comic books. Okay. It was a fun little um, fun little project. So another, again, another opportunity with your art. Yes. I mean, it's, it, when um, people don't understand, uh, uh, comic books are just not superheroes and what you see from Marvel or DC Comics. But comic books are all over, like I'm doing one right now for Cornell University. And, in the, and the theme is, um, uh, it's about um, racial uh, inequality and, um, and diversity within the scientific community. How there are biases against, uh, there are biases that do not favor racial or um, economic level of, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's a bias against those communities. Right. So anyway, it's a really interesting comic book, so that, hey, I didn't know that kind of stuff was going on in the scientific community. So I saw the data, and they were breaking it down, like certain things that um, they're implemented in some of these um, um, racial communities don't work for them because that's not how they deal with it. So anyway, but anyway, I'm doing, it's comic books and comic book art and opportunities are just not relegated to superheroes or scientific stories. They can be educational and it's, it's, a, it's a different world. Right. So um, who were your, some of your inspirations growing up? Oh, so some of my inspirations growing up as a comic book artist 
is um, you have to understand as growing up as a, a, a black um, teenager kid who was into art, I didn't know. And the, but the, this is before the internet age. I didn't know a lot of black artists. Right. And the only artist that I knew that was black was um, uh, the guy who painted the Good Times. Uh, Ernie Barnes. Ernie Barnes. And he's one of my inspirations. But other than him, um, and this is like you said, you you know this because you grew up before the internet age. Um, it was hard to find out who was black and who wasn't. So anyway, um, so in the comic book community back in the eighties, when I was growing up, loving to, you know reading comics and stuff, um, I didn't know a lot of these guys. Most of these guys were inspirational were white. So John Byrne, who was my number one inspiration, um, George Perez. Um, he's an inspiration. Um, Arthur Adams, uh, major inspiration. And then a guy who I didn't know was black until later on was Ron Friends. Uh, he's a huge, he's a huge bl- uh, artist for Marvel, did everything for Marvel. And I found out he was black and it blew me away. Wow. Yeah. So what characters of Marvel did he do? He did, um, he did Thor, he did Hulk, he did uh, uh, The Thing. And he did about just about every uh, character that they had, and he was a reliable artist. Wow! Yeah, yeah. I had no idea he was black until I met him. His name is Ron Friends, F R E N Z. If you want to look him up, that is not. That is amazing. Yeah, because I, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a uh, uh, amazing artist, and. Um, and to, and and to see that what he did, like he, he's one of those artists that that doesn't that goes underappreciated, right? Yeah. And your brother Jeremy, he draws for who does he draw for now? Well, right now he he doesn't do too much. I know he's doing a comic book with Dark Horse called um, Black Lotus. Okay. And what that is about is a black uh, a vampire in the Renaissance uh, era. And um, yeah, it's it's a horror comic, which is it, it, I've seen the artwork on it's pretty good. But he also did a, a comic that is a that was a big hit. It was a runaway hit back in the early two thousands called Bayou, and it was a um, it was a, basically a black um, version of Alice in Wonderland. And he dealt with a lot of um, racial stereotypical monsters and beings in this comic book. So it was pretty good. Oh, wow, I yeah. I read Bayou. Bayou was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's your um, what's your next project? So my next one I have um, on September 29th. I have a comic book coming out called um, Children of the Plague, and um, um, that should be out uh, it's on September 29th. Um, I had a lot of fun doing that one. It's just a one shot, like a 32 page comic book, self contained story. Hopefully, one day I'll end up want to do a series on it. And um, this character is a is a person of color. It's a female driven comic, person of color, and she's actually um, Indian from India. Okay. Um, and so, um, so it was fun doing that one. Uh, I, I completely, it's one of my first ones that I completely written, drew, wrote, and drew all by myself. Number 13, I wrote, co-wrote that with my partner, with my, with my dude, um, David Walker. We okay. Together. Yeah. Um, she did, so that's your current, and then you, you talked about the female, you had a one, it was a cartoon that you guys were working on with Cartoon Network. That had, uh, I don't even, can I say your name? No, what's her name? Go ahead. Queen Latifah attached to it? Mm, no. That the Grasshopper one? No, I don't think we had Queen Latifah. We, that one, we didn't get a chance to get anybody attached to it. Okay. Uh, that was called Fearless Grasshopper. Um, stay tuned for more information on that one. Oh. Later on down the, later on down the road. They come back around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, that's definitely coming back around. I'm actually doing something on that one right now. So I don't want to give too much away on that idea because I don't want to be anybody to, to, to take it from me. Right. But right now, um, that was going to be set up at Cartoon Network. We were um, developing it. We had hired the writer. We were doing um, 
voice talent, you know, auditions and stuff. And then when having a Cartoon Network, the person who ran it left, and they had another person come in. And usually when Hollywood does that, they get rid of everything that the other person was signed on to do. So they scrapped everything that we were going to do. So we got the rights back, but look for more about that one. Yeah. So one of the things I've learned in knowing you is that the Hollywood game is a long game. It's a long game. Um, you know, you, you get people, and I'm pretty sure that there are some actors or actresses that have told their cousins, hey, I'm doing this. And then yeah. at some point it fell through and the family looking at them like, see, I knew you wasn't doing that. Yeah. So I knew you wasn't doing shit. My thing about Hollywood is and I learned this. I learned this. I don't get excited when I say something like, hey, uh, um, you know, when you, oh, you option this to this studio. That means nothing. You when you when they say like um, uh, Robert, you, you just uh, optioned um, one of your um, comic books to um, 20th Century Fox. Yeah, aren't you excited about that? They're gonna make a movie. Nope. They're gonna make a TV show. Nope. That doesn't mean anything. That means that they just locked it up to themselves. So they figure out what they're gonna do with it for a year, six months to a year. If they can't figure anything out, you get it back. And um, all, another thing I always say is that don't get happy until you sign on the dotted line and you get the check. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a long game. It's a long game. Um, I've been there. I've done stuff. I've been all the way up to the point to where they could start filming and they didn't. So Hollywood is a very, if you're going to depend on Hollywood as a comic book artist to help you make money, you need to just stop. You have to do it for the love of the medium. Because everybody, the competition is so great. Everybody's got, Hollywood's got eyes on everybody. Everybody wants Hollywood to come pick up their property. So, but you have to have a love for the medium and do it because you love telling stories through comics. And all the other stuff will come if you have a good idea, you know. Yeah. And you've been mostly independent. My entire career has been independent, yes. Yes. And then you recently signed on with, a, you said, a literary agent? Yes, yes. Talk, t t tell us about that. So I'm, I'm signed on with the literary agency. Um, um, it's called the one, let me get the, it's called one, uh, I can get the information real quick, real quick for you. But um, uh, just give me one second here. to you right now. But yeah, I signed up with the literary agency because I'm taking my career to a different um a different um I want to say level now. Um because uh the um the superhero, the adult comic game. So I'm going straight to so I'm I'm the the so I signed up with this literary agency and I'm going to be doing um uh, young adult graphic novels through this uh, literary agency, and um, I think it's, 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 it's exciting for me. Um, I was approached um, off of the because they saw my website and everything, and they saw this stuff that I do, and I was approached, and um, they sold me on it. Like, hey, you know, what you think about going in this direction, going with um, instead of comic book publisher, I'm going with book publishers like HarperCollins, Penguin Press, and stuff like that. And I think it's very, it's, 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 uh, it has rejuvenated me in my career. It's given me, like, another, um, another gear, you know, um, uh, of in, in, in creating things. But uh, let me see. The, 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 I can get the name for you right here because I was just talking to my agent today. I don't want to butcher the, the name. It's, it's called um, Great Dog Literary. And uh, they're based out of New York, and um, it's already paying off for me. It's already paying off for me, so I'm excited about the things I'm going to be doing with them. So as an artist, what was your, as a kid, as an artist, what was your goal? As a kid, as an artist, my goal was to draw comics. That's it? That's it. That's all I wanted to do. Um, uh I was drawing. I was uh, my my brother, my oldest brother, was in the navy at the time, and he brought my brought my first comic book ever read. 
I was uh, in the fifth grade. It was a Spider-Man comic. And I was sold. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I grew up looking at uh, Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. I just I wanted to draw comics. <laughs> and when did you know that you really had a talent? Like, I saw your stuff and I was like, wow. But when did you know? When did, when did the wow hit you? Um, when, so we did an independent publishing comic where we printed it and did it ourselves, you know, but it didn't hit me that I could do this until in 2004, which is not that long ago. Um, when Dark Horse Comics, the third biggest comic company in comics said, let me, let's do this. That's when I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I, I know that I have families and friend, family and friends saying that I was good, but that you'd never sold on that until somebody you don't know say you're good. And then somebody who has a bankroll is willing to pay you to do it. That's when you know, okay, yeah, I could do this. Um, any advice you would have for uh, young aspiring artists? Young aspiring artists, I say draw every day if you want to draw. And um, learn as be as diverse of an artist as you can. Don't just limit yourself to one medium. Um, my medium of choice, other than like pen and ink, is I do uh, watercolors. But I can do in, uh, pretty much in every medium. Um, I know about every medium, uh, so I, that's what I aspire uh, tell artists to do: research, read. Draw every day. And if you want to go to school to be a comic artist, do not go to an art school. Go to your local community college. It's cheaper. You can learn the same thing that you can at a big art school who is basically doing nothing but take your money. Okay. Yeah. I tell, that's what I tell kids. I say go to your community college. They have the same art programs that a big art school does. It's cheaper. It's local. Do it that way. Okay. <laughs> Man, your daddy was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, break down a little bit the other positions, jobs with in within the industry. Because I know there have been times I've seen you advertise for a colorist. Yeah. So, so, so. The, the, the comics, um, the comics is all about uh, production, especially like if you do a monthly comic. There are some times when you do a graphic novel, they give you a year to do them, six months to a year to do them, and I could literally myself, like draw it with a pencil, and then we call inking, which is embe em embellishing it, means which means putting ink to the pencil work so that way the print will come through more sharper and cleaner, and then you have coloring, and then you have lettering. I could do it all myself, but if I did it all myself, that book would take forever to do. So in order for it to go faster and for you to be on time, there are other jobs within comics that you can do. There's a penciler that you just take a pencil and you draw it. There's an inker who you then pass your pencils to, and he just puts the black to it. You know, he makes everything black and everything in with an ink pen, embellishes it. Then that then can go to somebody that can, can color it. And now color is done through uh, digitally, which is you use Photoshop or Clip Studio or whatever program you use to do colors with. You can color it. And you can put the special effects for it on it and everything. And then when that's done, then it goes over to the letterer. Well, actually, after you've done penciling it, you can actually, at that point, pass it over to the guy who's going to letter. That means put the word balloons and the captions and stuff on. Because that's done digitally, too. Okay. And once all the color's done, then you can drop those letters, which he's already finished, onto it. So it's like an assembly line. Right. You keep doing it. And monthly comics are done like that because it can be done faster when you pass it on to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. So you, so you mean just if you, if you color really good when you're a kid and you can stay within the lines, that could be a job? It could be a job. It could be, it could be a job, but people don't color like that anymore. Com comics, they don't. They don't. Oh, okay. No. Okay. I was just checking. 
I could never stay within the lines, so that's why I was asking. If, if you know, like if I had known it could have been a job, it might have motivated motivated me a little bit to be a little bit better at it. But I was never really good at that part. Right, right. <laughs> and my you, color schemes were always off. Yeah, you got to stay in the lines if you're going to color, especially one of my comics. <laughs> <laughs> so each person, each person will have a job. You, but now most artists like myself will do the penciling and inking. Okay. But I don't, um, it's hard for me to explain if you don't know comics, but I just, um, I don't fully pencil out anything anymore. You know, I just lightly put in a person's head and stuff, and I go straight with my ink pen and just start drawing it in. So I'm drawing with the ink pen. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's So each person is a job. Each person can get paid. Okay, and and what is what is your? Uh, I don't want to give away trade secrets or anything, mm-hmm. but what program do you use to draw with? Oh, or, a, yeah, just there's no trade secret. Everybody knows about okay. all I'm the programs. Just, yeah, just, just so um, actually, I could pull out my iPad, okay, and show the people. But um, so as of this year, let me get back to the mic. As of this year. I no longer draw on pencil and paper unless I'm doing a, a commission for someone, unless I'm doing a comic book cover. Okay. Okay, because everything now is done digitally. And so I draw comics on, it's still, you still have to have the ability to draw. It's just now, technology is so fast, technology is so better now that certain things make it easier to accomplish doing a comic book. So I use a program called Clip Studio. And um, I used to use uh, Adobe Photoshop, but Clip Studio um, is 100% for comics. Photoshop is not. But Clip Studio has everything that you need for comics. So I use my iPad, and I could pull up a page here. You have to hold it up that way. Yeah, I'm going to hold it up this way. I don't know if people can see here. Pull it out here. Let me get this here. Let me give me one second here. Here we go. Okay, one second. So I don't know if anybody can see this here, but this is how it starts with. So that's just my blue line pencil work I done in. Okay. I just do the blue line pencil work, okay? So then, which makes it easier. So if I was just doing it on regular paper, then I would have to um, then um, make a copy of this and then print it out on my Bristol board paper and then get my pen and ink and ink it. But with, with, but with um, when you do digital, you just create another layer, and you drop your inks on top of it, and then oops, you could take all the pencil work away. Oh wow! Yeah, wish you guys could see that. It's just like it's amazing. Oh, oops. you could take all the pencil work away, and it's just. Put it up over black it. and white. If people can see that, so we'll post some some of well, we post some images up. some images up. Um. So yeah, so now instead of at my um at my drawing table, I can sit on my couch watching TV and just draw a comic on my on my on my, on my iPad. <laughs> and a lot of guys are a lot of guys are doing that now with comics. Um, comics have become because like I told you, comics are all about production, and the faster you can. The faster way you can produce one, the better. So Clip Studio and the iPad and the way it's digital now, it makes it makes the production faster. Okay. Yeah. Um, the new, how much has technology affected the way you do business? Or besides, 
Um, it, it affects it a lot. It affects it, a, it. It affects it differently. I mean, um, I did okay. Well, like, I find myself going to the art store to buy supplies a lot less now than I used to. Um, but you know, I always still go back and do paper just for myself or somebody else or just. You know, if I'm not drawing comics, I do, I'm doing it on regular pencil and paper because I still like that feel. I still like that medium. I still like doing that. But um, cost, as far as doing comics, has gone way down doing, for doing business. Uh, it's a lot easier to, um, I don't have to like scanning. I don't know if, you, if you're an artist, scanning is a pain, you know, especially when you're working on 11 by 17 and you got to scan on something that's smaller. You got to scan in different portions and then put it all together. Um, but as far as like charging people, as far as my time, that hasn't changed. Good. Yeah, that's changed. That might have been your reason why you were asking the question. No, that's not why I was asking. Yeah, the but 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 as far as like you know my time and charging people, my time is my time. Right. And my talent is my talent. So I I, I still know my worth. So. So another thing, artists learn your worth and stick yes. to it. Yes, yes, yes. Don't don't, um, don't be afraid to walk away if people are not paying your price. You know? Somebody will pay your price Somebody for your talent. Somebody will pay your price. Mm-hmm. Somebody will pay your price. Now, you need to be careful that you don't go overboard. You know, <laughs> sometimes you have to work your way up, and I have to work my way up to prices till I truly knew where I was or what my worth was. You know, but yeah, don't don't be afraid to walk away because that's your time. You know, so if if Dark Horse isn't telling you that they're going to pay you, don't be <laughs> thinking about you. <laughs> you're a million dollar hour artist <laughs> until somebody pay you fifty dollars an hour. I mean, you can make like you know. I have made like you know two hundred two hundred fifty dollars a page. That's what the page rate is. Ah, so it's the page rate. It's a page rate. Okay. It's a page rate. Uh, some companies, you have to do an overall deal. I'll give you this amount of money to do this part, this comic book. Marvel and DC, that's a work-for-hire situation, so they give you a page rate. They pay you about uh, $175, $200, $250 a page, depending on how popular you are. If you're an Arthur Adams, you're getting more like $500 to $1,000 a page. You know, that's a twenty-two page comic, so you're getting twenty-two grand for just doing a comic. But Arthur Adams is one of the hottest artists out there. He's been around since the eighties. He's guaranteed to sell whatever book he does. Right. So So parents <laughs> when you're sitting when your kid is sitting around doodling and he's drawing Remember at some point he could be making twenty three thousand dollars just to do one book. <laughs> Encourage him, buy him supplies, get him an iPad. But let me tell you this: there, there's money in comics, but not for a lot of people. So, don't be afraid if you want to be a comic artist that you have a day job. There's a lot of guys in comics that have a day job. I have a day job, so don't be afraid that. You know, you have to have one if you want to do this, draw comics. Um, it's a competitive um, field, but it also, at the same time, it's small. It's a small industry. Everybody knows everybody. And uh, you're selling to the same audience. So um, if you're looking for a quick buck, don't do not do it in comics because it ain't there. <laughs> so not a quick buck. Be in it for the long haul and the love. Yes. And yes. it'll pay off in the end. In the end, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, don't be afraid to have a job with a 401k and the insurance policy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some medical Remember, and you dental. St- exactly. Remember, you still need all of that. You still need medical and dental. And comics ain't paying that. So, you don't, you know, so, you know, don't be afraid to say, yeah, you know, I, I got an eight-hour job that, you know, then I draw home comics at home at night. It might be hard on your love life a little bit because <laughs> she needs time. <laughs> but, but, again, you have to have a love for it to do it. 
Yeah. So, oh, which makes me brings me back to let me think about it. I wanted to talk about this before while we were still here. Mm-hmm. Hey, so when I met you, you were going to Comic Con before Comic Con was like popular. Popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you could still get passes for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the evolution of Comic Con. The evolution of Comic Con. So I've been going to Comic Con International, the one very popular one that's in San Diego. I've been going since 1994. And I have seen that thing grow into the monster it is today. Um, in 1994, if you've ever been to San Diego Convention Center, it's huge. Comic-Con, when I was going, started going in 1994, it was a third of that. And the rest of it was open. You could wait until the day of comic convention, walk up and buy you a ticket to go in. You can get up in the morning and say, hey, let's drive down to San Diego to comic convention back then. Okay, yeah, it's cool. Let's go. Let's go. Da-da-da-da-da. Walk up and you get it. I can get you a ticket, Kareem. You want to go? Yeah, I'll get you. Let's go down there together. We ain't got to buy them in advance. Because I, I remember we had those conversations. Yeah, exactly. We can, we can, I don't, you don't have to buy it in advance. We can just go down there and get it. And the behemoth of it is now is the tickets are scarce. You got to get in that waiting room. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. They're still out. Um, it's a huge monster now. Now it's the whole entire convention center. And it has leaked out into the hotels that surround it. And, and in the areas across the street in parking lots. And the restaurants around there now advertise, you know, you could do stuff over there. Then, in 1994, I go to get a hamburger across the street, regular price. Now, Comic-Con week is three times as much as it regularly is. <laughs> <laughs> so, what... When did you recognize the the real change? Uh, I want to say, I want to say it changed. What movie? What movie changed it? Mm. Man, what movie changed it? Because it had to be in the two thousands, when it was start going. I would say it started changing. Around 04, 05, right around in there, when Hellboy hit. Ah. Um, I want to say right around in there. Then you started seeing a lot more movie stuff coming in there. Because at at some point you would just see people who had been in stuff, and that's how they... Yeah, but then you you used to see A uh, B and C and D actors in there with their little booths doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, But now um, you you don't see that anymore. Now you're you're seeing the biggest stars in there now coming in there. But yeah, I want to say around... um, No, no, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, I want to say around... um, when those Batman movies by uh, Chris Nolan started coming out. Okay. Those, and, and, and right around Hellboy at the same time, that was when you started seeing, okay, it started taking off. It started coming up. Because then video game companies were coming in. And then you saw Nickelodeon in there. And you saw, and then it started to start, it just started growing, started growing, started growing. Now, it's a, you know, now it's one of my least favorite kind of conventions. Yeah. So talk about some of the other non-Comic-Cons that you go to that you enjoy. So the, the Comic-Cons that I enjoy, that you, if you're a comic book fan and you really want to get to know comics, the Comic-Cons you want to go are now like locally. I go locally or just a few um, hours here, you know, from Sacramento. Um, so the um, the best ones are SatCon is a good one. StocktonCon is a good one. Um, the Lodi Library Convention. The, wait a minute. Lodi has a library? Uh, lo- <laughs> <laughs> they, had a li- they had a convention in the library, which I think was the best idea ever. I don't know why it hasn't been done before, but Kareem, I'm telling you, 
Um, we, we make fun of Lodi, but this Lodi uh, library convention was the best idea I've seen because whoever thought of putting, you know, you read comics, why not put the convention inside of a library? And they opened it up where you could check out books and, and, and introduce their library to new people and gave out library cards okay. as well as people checking out comics. Best idea, one of the best ideas ever. Um, uh, so the, um, um, there's a lot of local conventions that I love doing. And um, one in Fresno that I did, in Fresno that was that I did, that, that's a good one down there. Fresno? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. The comic book fans everywhere, man. You'd be surprised. And another one that I like really like a lot is held on Martin Luther King Day. And it's the um the Black Comic Artist Convention. And my my boy um John Jennings and you do do some research on John Jennings and when you get a chance, do a podcast with him. That dude is the dude to go to when you want to know about the history of black comics. John Jennings. John Jennings. He has an imprint at Abrams Publishing called Megascope. And um, I'm actually doing a comic book with him. I'm not going to reveal the character because it's a rare character that he found, that he talked to the family. And this this character was done, um, this black character was in strips back in the uh, 40s, 50s. Okay. By a black artist. He found the family. We've been doing it. But John Jennings is the guy you want to talk to. When you want to talk about the history uh, of black comics, and he's been he's uh, he's actually uh, featured on um, the Disney Channel on um, one of Marvel's little specials that they have. They interview him, um, but that's my guy right there. That dude is um, he's a professor down um, in Riverside, um, teaching um, about comics medium. But hit him up next time you do a podcast. That's the dude you want to talk to. Okay, so we're going to add John Jennings to the future. We're going to put it out there to the universe. Robert's going to introduce me. Yeah, I'll introduce you. I'll I'll link you up after the show. And we're going to have John Jennings on the podcast in the future. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You guys forgive me for doing the, um, I'm aware of it. We're working on stopping it. (laughs) (laughs) My buddy Anthony, uh, he's like, every time you do it, I want you to make a note. And you'll stop. So we're working on it. <laughs> this is just the second one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's I've known man. I've known you for about almost twenty years, or it hasn't been longer than that. Yeah, I think so, man. I think so. What we met right around around what oh four or five or something like that. It was right around that time. Yeah, yeah. We we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, known each other for a long time. Um, and um, I know one time we were going to work on something together. We still might. Yeah, I the, the idea the idea hasn't gone away. Right, right. And um, it's with and with everything that's been going on, it's it's still creeping up. Yeah. Um, and I work on the idea every once in a while, but um, and I don't want to tell y'all the idea because I don't want anybody to steal it. Exactly. Don't put it out there yet. So I'm not gonna put it out there there. Yeah. But. It's an idea that is so heavy that I can only work on it for a certain amount of time. And then I got to put it down because I live with people that don't look like me. And right. I don't want them to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, man, but the comics, um, I think the most impactful comics is like the one you were talking about doing are the ones that say something. Yeah. I mean, you have the the fun ones like superhero comics or comics that just tell a real fun story. But the most impactful one, and that's why I think Bitter Root, the one that Regina King is going to be directing into a movie, is so impactful because it says something. You know, there's a movie on Netflix called Monster. I saw that. I'm gonna. I haven't watched it, but I saw that it. was a comic book. That was a graphic novel. I have it. Really. And the guy who did, um, who drew Brother Man. Back in the 90s, um, David Awalloway, okay, I'm butchering his name, he uh, drew it. But that was a graphic novel, Monster. Um, and I have it I have it at home. I loaned it to you so you can read it, but it's really good. Um, there's a lot of 
stuff out there that are that have, people had no idea that were that were once maybe a comic. But um, yeah, that was a comic book. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, so we're winding down to the end here. Yeah, we're about an hour in here. Um, anything you will? I did it again. Anything that you want to leave out, leave with the, the people with? Um, read comics, man. Go out there and read. Pick up my books. Pick up. There's a lot of um, black artists out there that you can read. Uh, David, let me give you drop you some names really quick. David Walker, Sanford Green. And David uh, Walker just did the Black Panther. He did not, the Black pa- and not the superhero, right? But a comic book about the actual Black Panther the Black Party. Black Panther Party is correct. He just it dropped this year. He before that one, he did one about um, Frederick Douglass. Um, he got he got a comic uh, this by the same company. Um, then you got um, like I said, Sanford Green, uh, John Jennings, Stacey Robinson, um, some other independent guys like Keith and Jones. Um, look up another guy you want to read, Jason Reeves. He's got his own little distribution. This dude, uh, I've worked with him on a couple of things. Is uh, Jason Reeves of One One Three Art? He is innovating black comics. 100% altogether. He's got a distribution. He's trying to distribute dis, distribute uh, black comics as well as write and draw them. Um, Andre Owens, um, and the list just goes on. That, I mean, they're Brandon Easton, who um, this brother here uh, is doing all kinds of uh, black. Uh, 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 he's a black writer who's tapped into the mainstream and writing for DC and Marvel. And you got Brandon Thomas, who's also done the same thing as a writer. Kari Randolph, who is a, a black artist. I mean, we're out there, man. We're out there. Um, go to my um, Twitter page. You can find them all there. And again, um, his Twitter is Robert E. e Love. Love. Robert E. Love. Robert Ernesto Love. My Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> my Instagram is rlove1971. I love 1971. Go there, follow me on there. That's where I post all of most of my art. And then you can just go to my website, robertlovesart.com. That's robertlovesart.com. And at some point, Robert has a tabletop or a table. Was it a table? Was it a tabletop book that you were working on that I have to forward for? Yeah, um, that got put on hold because there were some things that happened. That uh, I'm still gonna do it, but the, that that got put on hold. That that I'm still gonna do it though, but that that got put on and, hold. And my forward's still gonna be in the it's book. It's still gonna right? be on the book. Yes, because that was some good shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're a black artist out there, don't be discouraged. Keep going. Um, there'll be some missed. You know, don't. There might be some missed opportunities. Not missed opportunities, but be some things that might challenge you. But you gotta, as an artist, as whatever you do, writer, photography. Um, anything. You just got to keep it going, man. Just keep it going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. I've been doing this thing since um. Uh, man, I've been drawing forever. <laughs> <laughs> Moses didn't write the tablets. Robert did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. Thank you again for taking the time to to do this with me. I really appreciate you. Um, I appreciate the the fact that you give back time. Um, I'm on the uh, I was on the board for the uh, Sacramento Black Book Fair for a couple of years. I was a volunteer coordinator, but Robert always took the time to volunteer to uh, and be a part of the book fair. Mm-hmm. So he had a room where he could talk to the people about his art. And about his comics. So I appreciate you for giving back in that way. No problem. And um happy to do it. Damn it, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you for giving back. No problem. And again, this is a reclaiming the image that black where we're gonna talk about being black in different spaces. We are not a monolith, but we are one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do whatever you want to do there will always be challenges but don't give up on yourself don't give up on your dream uh reach out to people who do what you want to do Mm -hmm. 
and I'm pretty sure they'll be happy to mentor or help guide you. Exactly. Uh, anybody, anytime I've asked Robert or tried to saw someone younger who needed some help and I've kind of steered them toward Robert, he's always been willing to help. Uh, and sometimes we don't get help because we don't ask. Right. And as my daddy used to say, a closed mouth don't get fed. Right. <laughs> so uh, we're going to call this a night. I appreciate you guys for taking the time to listen and for joining us again on Reclaiming the Image. Black. And we will see you next week where my guest will be the owner, curator, and artist, Ms. Barbara Range of the Brickhouse Art Gallery. Thank you. <laughs>